0: First John chapter four <clears throat> verses seventeen through twenty one. Three things I want you to take away from this message today, or gain from this message today, or grow in from this message today, is a greater confidence in Christ. We should have confidence in Christ, a greater obedience in Christ The demand, the command to love is a command to obey. And a greater love. A greater love in Christ. And we've talked as we've worked through 1 John about how that love is not just a vertical love between us and God, but it's a love that spreads out to all those who are around us. All right, 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for... Your word, thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, it is truly good news that you love us and that you loved us first and you put your love in our heart so that we could return that love to you and so that we can shed that love and give that love and spread that love abroad to those that you have placed in and around our lives. And our love, Father, the love of God in us, is a witness to the world. A witness to you. A witness that you sent your Son. A witness that we truly are, men and women, children of God, who live in the love of God. Because our love is not just what we speak of. Our love is what is seen through our lives. Father, we ask that you would be glorified in your church and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So John writes here and he says, Love has been perfected among us. He says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. It's really an amazing statement. And there, there, that statement is, is not just, we need to understand it in both ways. So oftentimes, you know, when I'm talking with people, especially, um, you know, a lot of Christians do not have a confidence in God. Um, And they don't have a confidence in God because they don't really understand the gospel. They don't really understand salvation. And oftentimes, we believe that we are Working, trying to earn brownie points with God, trying to earn favor with God, and we repeatedly fail, we can see our own faults, and we just don't have the confidence and the assurance that we need. And this statement here, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. This is how the Father sees us. He sees us in Christ. He sees us washed and holy and righteous. But what John is writing here is not just something to give us confidence because of what Christ has done. There is a responsibility that we have, not for our salvation, but there is a responsibility we have in terms of how we live our life. John has talked about it through this entire letter. Remember in the early chapters, When he says those who practice unrighteousness are of the devil. Those who practice righteousness are of God. And it's not just what we do because we all fail. We all do things that are sinful and disobedient. And we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Even in in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 7. He says, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I don't want to do. Um, those are the things that that I struggle with. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And John, writing in this letter, is saying, the practice of our life. Not the momentary failures, not the things we struggle with, but, but what's our practice? What's our lifestyle? And he boils this down just like Jesus did that a lifestyle of love is going to mean obedience to God, and it's going to, be, it's going to determine how we love and how we treat and how we interact with one another. And John is writing here and he says, When love is perfected among us, there is a boldness that we will have, a confidence that we will have, because as He is, so are we in this world. And this is not just a positional thing that as He is, so are we in this world. If you've been paying attention as we've gone through this letter, John is saying, live your life the way Jesus lived his life. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Walk just as he walked. These are all things that are quoted from 1 John. And so when we walk as he walked, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, when we love as Jesus loved, then we know that God's love has been perfected in us. So John is giving assurance to the believers, not false assurance, but true assurance rooted and grounded in the truth of Scripture and in the love and the character of God. Let's look at the previous verse where John referenced love being perfected. It's up in verse 12. Verse 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. The word perfected in both of these verses is the same word, and it's referring to God's love being made complete in and among the believers. Now, that word perfected causes us to have images and connotations of of us living a life where we never make a mistake, where we never commit a sin, and we can be tempted to read this in such a way that John is saying, love is perfected among us, meaning that we're going to get to a place in this flesh, in this body, in this world, where we'll never commit a sin, we'll never do anything, we'll never have any failures, we'll never fall down, and that's not what John is saying. Because we're never going to come to an end of growing up into Christ in all things because we'll never come to an end of Christ. We'll never come to an end of His love. And so in a sense, God's love is being perfected in us. When we live a certain way, when we love a certain way, when we obey God in a certain way, we can say God's love has been perfected in us because it shows in how we live our life. But that doesn't mean we're not growing in love. That doesn't mean we can't love more. And so sometimes, as finite humans, we, have, we hear the word perfected and completed and think that we've come to an end of something and, and there's no more. Well, if God's love has been perfected and completed in me, then, then I can't grow anymore in love. That's not what John is saying. But he's saying as you grow in love, your growth in love, your maturity in love is going to be seen in how you love God, how you obey God, and how you love one another. And when you demonstrate that love the way Jesus did, then it's a sign that you've come to a level of maturity, a level of perfection, a level of completeness in God. And when we're living in that perfect love, when that becomes the practice of our life, John is saying you have boldness. You can have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are are we in this world. As he walked, so you are walking. As he lived, so you are living. As you loved, so you are loving in this world. And that gives us boldness and assurance. So in verse 12, John refers to love being perfected in us. This is the love of God abiding in us that is manifest through our obedient love for God and for one another. In verse 17, John refers to love being perfected with or among us. This is the love of God witnessed in the corporate body of Christ. This is why it's not, it's not enough that you are loving God and you just ignore everyone and everything around you. That's not love. Because the love of God in you will impact and touch everything around you. And so the, this is God's love operating among one another. Proving the perfected or completed love of God in each of us. So not just us personally, but this body. So today when you were meeting and greeting and you didn't want to stop meeting and greeting... It, it's it's a sign of love and you might not have been thinking about love but the love of god must be manifest in his body corporately in this little corporate body but also in the universal corporate body this is why we pray for certain things and and we pray for the persecuted We're not there with them in their persecution physically but we pray for them because they're our brothers and our sisters and we love them and the love of God demands that we identify with their sufferings. And so love perfected in and among us gives us assurance that we may have boldness in the day of judgment when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ to have our Works, judge. We're not going to be judged for our sin. Jesus paid for our sin, but the Bible says we will be judged for the works that we do in our body. That is a fearful thing. But John writes that we may have boldness because our love and our obedience in Christ is conformed to the love and the obedience of Christ. Thus John's word, because as he is, so are we in this world. We have boldness in the day of judgment because our life is conforming to Christ and we love one another in this world even as Jesus loved us. This is consistent with the new commandment given to us by Jesus in John thirteen thirty four, Where John records the words of Jesus, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is the same commandment from the Lord that John references in 1 John 3, 23. Our assurance when he says, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Love one another as he gave us commandment. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those two things are synonymous to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to love one another. To love one another as Jesus loved us is to believe on the name of the Lord. You can't do those two things separate from each other. This is why they are linked in the Scripture. And our assurance of salvation and our boldness in the day when our works in the body will be judged is not relieving us of our responsibility but reminding us of it. So John's not saying, hey, don't worry about how you live your life. You're going to have boldness in the day of judgment because as Jesus is, so are you in this world. That's not what he's saying. He's not relieving us of responsibility. He's reminding us of our responsibility. We have a responsibility to obey the commands of Jesus. This is the Great Commission. Go into all the world, disciple the nations, teaching them, to obey all that I have commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them. This is what we do with babies. We baptize them and we raise them up, teaching them, making them disciples. We give them the sign of the covenant and then we treat them like covenant children, covenant people, and we raise them up in the covenant. And our expectation is that they will be disciples of Jesus, and they will fulfill this very word that we're we're looking at here today. They will love God, and they will love one another, and they will obey the commands of Jesus. And if they don't do that, we should be surprised. If we've done what the Bible tells us to do, we should be shocked and surprised if our children don't grow up like that. And this is why when we read the Scripture, and it's talking about parents and children... The Bible is very clear, from the very moment that child is conceived, we should be praying for, working toward, striving to see that child grow up in a fullness of Christ. Now, I wasn't raised that way. I came to this late. But this is the point of preaching and teaching the gospel consistently. we got a church full of new parents and little babies here, and that's a glorious thing, a glorious thing. And we have a responsibility as parents, individual, but also as a a congregation to make sure that we're encouraging parents and children to grow up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. And when we live in that, when that becomes the practice of our life, we have an assurance of our salvation. We have a boldness in the day of judgment. If we love Jesus and we're loving as Jesus loved, then we're loving and obeying his word we're loving one another as Jesus loved us if that is our desire and we are striving to walk and, and 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 that be the practice of our life this is what John is saying then you have boldness in the day of judgment in fulfilling our responsibility we must never believe that we do so in our own strength or out of the resources of our own will You do have strength, you do have a will. But you understand, we don't become holy and righteous in the eyes of the Father by our own efforts. This is the work of Christ, but that doesn't relieve us of our responsibility to walk in that holiness, to walk in that righteousness, and to walk in that love. We have no ability to do this apart from God's grace. That's why I told the children this morning, We love Him because He first loved us. You didn't just decide to love God one day because you loved everything else and I'll try loving God. No. If you love God this morning, it's because God loved you first. It's because God put His love in you. And there is no way for us to love God until God puts His love in us. And so we must never fall into this um, frame of mind thinking that we've done something out of our own strength or out of our own resources because we cannot it is by grace alone that we can do these things god's grace does not relieve us of our responsibility to actually do what god commands on the contrary grace gives us the power and the ability and the ability to obey god his will to do his will To live in His will. This is the grace of God. We're not robots, but we're creatures created by the Creator. Creatures of His will and of His grace. And God gives us His love to work in us, to work through us, to give witness to Him in the world gifted to us by our Creator. You do realize the world we we live in is a gift. God has gifted this world to us. And His grace gives us the ability and the will to love and obey. So we do. When we stand boldly in the judgment one day, we will be standing in His grace. And that day we will know that it is only by grace that we are able to stand at all. We will know most certainly that it is only by His grace that it would ever be said of us, as He is, so are you in this world. But that's what? John is writing. That is the assurance and the confidence John wants us to have. And we are to understand that we've been given grace to walk in obedience, to love as Christ loved, and it is His grace that gives us the ability to do that. And so we must walk in that. That must become the practice of our life. And when it is, we have the assurance, we have the boldness given to us by God's grace. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. This is God's grace working in us, to be seen and to be known in love in this world. This is also God's grace, to be seen and known in love by the Father. So the world is to witness that love, but also the Father witnesses our life, and He witnesses what Christ did to atone for our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And when we stand in that place of the judgment, it is God's grace to be seen and known in love by the Father. It is God's grace that will cause the Father to see us as He sees His Son. These both are by God's grace, born out of His love. This is the love of God that casts out fear. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We could, spend, we could spend weeks on this verse right here, but I only have a few minutes. So perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. This is a powerful statement we would do well to meditate on, to think about. I would encourage you to do that, especially if you struggle with fear. And there are a lot of people that struggle with fear. Again, such a simple yet profound truth, there is no fear in love. We're living in a world that is captivated right now by fear more than ever before. And it's not accidental that we're also living in a world that has no concept of what true love is. Have you noticed that? This is not an accident. This is not a coincidence. The world is, is captivated completely by fear right now. But you also see that the world has no concept of what love is or who love is. There is so much confusion about love. This has always been true for the world and that should not be a surprise for us. What should surprise us and what should alarm us is how much of the church seems to be confused about love. This truth is much of the church has adopted the world's false understanding of love. This this is the reality. Much of the church today has adopted the world's false understanding of love. There is no fear in love. This is John's statement here. But this statement does not mean there is no longer a reason to fear God. This is what the world seems to believe. God is love. Love is love. If if the God who you talk about is really as loving as you say, then there's no reason for me to fear. I'm going to go to heaven I'm I'm better than most people. Well, that doesn't quite cut it. Because God doesn't demand that you be better than most people or 99% of the people. God demands absolute perfection. And there is no human, save one, that ever walked in absolute perfection. And Jesus Christ walked in the absolute perfection before His Father so that He could be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So there is no fear in love is not, is not meaning that, that there's no reason for us to fear God any longer. The fear of the Lord is always the beginning of wisdom and understanding. There is no fear in love when we are loving and obeying the Lord. When we are rebelliously redefining God and redefining His Word to justify our sin in a false and perverted understanding of love, whether we profess to be Christians or not, then wisdom demands we fear God and with repentance sooner than later. When God's love is made perfect in us, then we can say with confidence there is no fear in love. But when we're trying to take God's word and justify our sin, we can't take love and say, well, there's no reason for me to fear God. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. When we're walking in the perfect or complete love of God, our love for God will produce obedience to Him in our life. His perfect love in us will result in our love for one another. And when we walk as He walked, then we will live free from fear. As believers, there's no reason for us to fear God if we are walking as He walked. If we're living in the light, walking in the light as He is in the light. His love perfected in us gives us confidence. Confidence in God. We need not fear in that day, for as he is, so are we in this world. There is no reason to be tormented with fear and uncertainty about our standing with God because perfect love casts out all fear. And if the practice of my life, if what I'm striving for is to be more like Jesus, do you think God is going to accommodate that desire? The psalm says God gives us the desires of our heart. Now, we want to turn that into a a Ferrari or a Maserati or some big house somewhere. But when the desire of our heart is to be more like the Son of Glory, when the desire of our heart is to be more like God, to love more like God, to walk in obedience the way Jesus walked in obedience and honor His Father, when that is our desire, even in the midst of our falling down and our failing, don't you know that God will honor that desire and give us that desire? That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us to sanctify us, to conform us to the image of Jesus so that our love for God and our love for one another is more like the love of Jesus. When that is the desire of our heart, God will give it to us. And when that is our desire, that's what we're striving for. There is no reason for us to fear. There is no reason for us to fear. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Those who still find themselves being tormented with fear have not been made perfect in love, is what John is saying. This is not about God not loving us perfectly or completely. You get that, right? There's no problem with God's love for us. God's love for us is perfect and complete. Just knowing that should relieve much of our fear. In life, Well, yeah, but what about my circumstance? It doesn't matter. Your circumstance doesn't change God's perfect and complete love for you. In fact, He's Lord over your circumstance. He's sovereign over your circumstance. And in the midst of your circumstance, we've got to trust Him and know that His love for us is perfect and complete. What this verse is about is not God's love for us. This is about us not loving God and not loving one another perfectly and complete. There's a sense that God's love for me is perfect and complete and and I have no reason to fear. That's true. As he is, so are we in this world. Jesus has done that. Jesus has made us that before the Father. But there's, on the other side of that coin, there's my love for God and my love for those around me, for one another. And this is the context of what John is talking about here when he says, Perfect love casts out all fear. This is about our love for God. It's not about walking in perfection. I want you to understand this. Jesus is not demanding that we're going to walk in perfection. He knows that we never will, we never could, which is why he sent his son. But it is about striving to walk in obedience to Christ. It's not about perfection, it's about obedience. We desire obedience even when we find ourselves disobeying. We should. When I sin, when I disobey, I find myself desiring obedience. Even though I have disobeyed, even though I've sinned or I've fallen or failed. We repent and we keep striving for obedience. In love for Him. And in love for one another. Because my responsibility is not just to God. My responsibility is to you guys. So when I sin, when I fail, I'm not just failing God, I'm failing you as the body. Now that might sound like you're putting a lot of pressure on me, pastor. Well, I'm not putting the pressure. This is the word of God. This is what God's word says. We repent. We keep striving for obedience and love for him and love for one another for there are no victimless sins. There are no victimless sins. Conviction is the Spirit's work to perfect us in love. In Romans 8.1, Paul writes this, There is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ. Now that doesn't mean there's no conviction in Christ. Conviction and condemnation are not the same things. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin for the purpose of repentance and restoration. The enemy condemns us in our sin for the purpose of separation and destruction. Now, we do a really good job of condemning ourselves. We need to embrace conviction and and get to repentance. And the Holy Spirit in us brings that conviction, and that's a good thing. Here's where the Holy Spirit helps us. When we find ourselves struggling with sin and disobedience to God, the Holy Spirit will rightly convict us in our sin and lead us back onto the path of righteousness for His namesake. This conviction of the Holy Spirit is an essential reality in the life of every believer. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, you're going to have that conviction when you sin. No one's gonna have to tell you your sin. You you will know that you've sinned. Now, a brother or a sister might need to come to you in humility, just like we talked about in Sunday school today, and and confront you in your sin for the purpose of restoration. And we shouldn't get offended by that. We should be thankful that someone loved us enough to actually come to us in humility and, and try to bring restoration. So this is an essential reality in the life of the believer. If we're in sin and not feeling the conviction of the Spirit, we should be afraid. That's when you better be afraid. It's not while you're being convicted for your sin. You should be thankful for that. It's when you have no conviction for your sin and your separation from God. When you don't have any conviction of that, that's when you should be afraid. God does not leave His children uninterrupted in their sin. If there is no conviction of sin, there is no Holy Spirit convicting of sin. That is not a good place to be. In fact, it's a very dangerous place to be. And if we do not have the Holy Spirit, then we don't have Christ. And if we don't have Christ, we're not God's children. That's not a good place to be. We didn't become God's children because we chose to. In a sense we did, but... God chose us first to be his children. Just like I'm sure all you parents, your children are glad that you're their parents. And they would choose you as their parents because they love you. But guess who chose first? You chose to make that child first. And it's from your love for that child that they love you and they choose you. And they want to run to you and not some stranger. It should be the same for us as children of God. It is the same for us as children of God. As children of God, it's not it, it is a great comfort for us to know and to feel the conviction of God in our life. It affirms that we are his children and that he loves us. And in his love, he will convict us and discipline us as necessary to bring us to repentance and turn us from our sin to his righteousness. Conviction comes to produce repentance. Repentance means we change our mind and we turn back to God, away from our sin in humble obedience. Our repentance resulting from the conviction of the Holy Spirit and our humble obedience to the Word of God will result in our having confidence toward God. When we are loving God, when we are loving one another in obedience to His commandment, we will walk free of fear. God's love perfected in us will cast out, will set us free from fear. Thus John writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. There will be those who have rejected Christ who will spend an eternity in torment. We do not fear that torment because of the love of Christ that's been poured out into our hearts. And that love being perfected in us means that we are walking as Jesus walked and we are loving as Jesus loved. We are, in other words, being made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love Him because He first loved us. So love begins with God always. This is such an important verse because it clearly puts God's love for us and our love for God in its proper place. We must never forget that we love him because he first loved us. Love is always initiated by God. There would be no love in the world because God is love if God were not here. There would be no love in our hearts if God was not in our heart. We have no capacity to love God at all until his love is first poured into our heart. God's love for us is God's grace to us. If you love God, it is only because God first loved you. If you love God, you will strive to keep God's commandments. To love God is to obey Him. If you love God, you will also love one another as He commands. For to love God is to love your brother. In verse 20, John writes, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God? Whom he has not seen. So we are to love who we can see. And out of that love we are to know that we love the one we cannot see. This is a direct reference to verse 12 where John reminds us that no one has seen God at any time. He then immediately reminds us that if we love one another then God God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. To love God whom we have not seen is to love our brother and our sister that we can see. That we do see. The love God, to love God is to honor God with our life. And that means we are to love and honor one another. That means we're not to dishonor one another. Those who truly love and honor God will love and honor one another. This is part of loving God and loving each other. When we give place to sinful desires, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life that John lists here in his letter, that is the the root and the origin of all of our sin, we dishonor God and we dishonor one another. That's not love. Remember, there are no victimless sins. Sin dishonors God and it dishonors others directly and indirectly. So walking in love is walking away from sin. It's walking in obedience to God. It's walking in love and honor for God and for one another. In verse 21, John writes, "In this commandment we have from him, that we love that he who loves God must love his brother also." So we're back to this reality that love is God's commandment. This all sounds very redundant. We've used these phrases a lot as we've gone through 1 John. But it is redundancy that God has given to us in His Word, which should inform us how important this message is for every believer. He who loves God must love his brother also. This commandment, this is the commandment that we have directly from him this is the new commandment that jesus gave to his disciples this is god's commandment it's not his suggestion and if we're picking and choosing when we want to keep god's commandment then his love is not perfected in us and we don't have confidence and we will not and should not have boldness in the day of judgment He who loves God must love his brother also. The Holy Spirit continues to remind us of the inseparable link between loving God and loving one another. You can't separate those. You can't love God and not love your brother. You can't love your brother and not love God. They are one. And they are the same. To love God is to love our brother and our sister. And when we obey God's commandment, we know His love, has been perfected in us. And we have no reason to fear. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit who gives us the assurance that we abide in Him and He in us. When we sin, we have the Holy Spirit convicting us and bringing us to repentance back onto the path of righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Who does? The Lord does. The Good Shepherd does. And when we veer off the path, the Holy Spirit inside of us convicts us to bring us back onto the path of righteousness for His namesake. Because your life is a witness to Him and for Him. I think Caleb made a statement in Sunday school this morning that That everything we do is a witness. And that's true. And even in Ephesians 3.10, even when you're by yourself, locked up, and no one can see you and no one can hear you, God can. But not only God, but Ephesians 3.10 says that it's the manifold wisdom. It's been given to the church to the intent that we would make known the manifold wisdom of God to powers and to principalities in heavenly places. Whether you realize it or not, Your life is always a witness, if not to humans around you. It is a witness to powers and principalities in heavenly places. Our obedience to God is a witness to the powers and the principalities. Our disobedience to God is a witness to powers and principalities. Our willingness and joy in loving one another with the love of Jesus is a witness to powers and to principalities as well as to the world. And our unwillingness to love one another. To forgive one another. Is a witness. Not just to the world. But to powers and to principalities in heavenly places. You cannot, I cannot escape. The reality that everything I do is a witness. It's a witness. God sees. Heaven sees. And more often than we know, men see. But the good news is, when we sin, as children of God, we have the Holy Spirit convicting us and bringing us to repentance, bringing us back onto the path of righteousness. The Holy Spirit is at work within us, giving us assurance that we are abiding in His love as He empowers us to walk in that love to love God and to love one another. And as we do this, we can know that we are honoring God, that we are honoring one another in our love and in our obedience. And we can know that we have boldness, even in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. And that is, my friends, good news. Well, let's get ready to come to the Lord's table. And As you prepare to come to the Lord's table, we'll all be served, we'll all eat, and we'll all drink together. Again, Paul's admonition is to discern the body. And again, that is not discerning the bread you're eating and the cup you're drinking. It is To look around and to see those in this room. It's for you to consider those in your life. What is your love? What does your love look like? What does your life look like? What is the practice of your life? Are we walking as Jesus walked? Are we loving as Jesus loved? You know, the world hated Jesus so much so that they murdered Him. But the words of Jesus on the cross to those men, on behalf of those men who nailed him there, was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. How many people do things to us, say things to us, out of meanness, out of hatred, out of whatever? And what is our attitude? Is it like Jesus, when we say, Father, forgive them? Father, change their hearts. Father, do whatever it takes to bring them to a saving knowledge of You. For they are lost in their sin. Lost in darkness. This is the love of God. This is the way God loved us. This is the way we are to love one another. This is what Jesus did for us. He loved us enough that He died for us. Gave up His body, poured out His blood. So as we come to the table, let's thank Him for that. And let's purpose that we will be a people who will walk, And love as Jesus did. Amen? Amen. Please stand. Here is your charge. Remember, love originates with God. It comes from Him. We love Him because He first loved us. Love is given to us by God so that we can in turn love Him and love one another. Love kept and not shared is not love. To love Him is to obey Him and to make His love known. To love Him is to trust Him with everything. It is to trust Him with our past, our present, and our future. All of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. Remember, it is not our words, but our deeds that matter most. Our words matter. But unless our words translate into how we live our life, No one's going to pay attention to our words. We all sin, we all fail, but what is the practice of our life? What are we striving for? Is it a life and a lifestyle that will honor and glorify God? Or is it a life and a lifestyle that will satisfy our own selfish desires? To love Him is to live a life that honors Him, that glorifies Him. And that life will also honor you, and it will honor those around you. He has given us His Spirit that works in us to accomplish what the Father has destined for His children. The Father who chose us in Him before the foundation of the world has predestined us to be conformed to Jesus Christ. As His love continues to be perfected in us, and it is. It's not a completed thing. It is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And as that work of perfecting His love in us continues, we will continue to have a greater confidence in Christ, a greater obedience in Christ, and a greater love in Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of His grace in us. And this must be seen and known through us to his glory. Amen.